Okay, so we're going to begin now learning the first sicha, talk from the Rebbe on the Parsha of Kitetze that's published in the volume of his talks called Lakute Sichos in volume 19. This is a, uh, a nice, lengthy, but enjoyable learn. And it was said by the Rebbe in 1976, on the day of his father's yard site, on the 20th of Av. As you know that his father passed away in exile in Almaty in Kazakhstan. And on his yard site every year, the Rebbe would make a fabrengen. And he would also make a conclusion ceremony where he would conclude a tractate of the Talmud. So today's talk will also mainly include a conclusion of one of the tractates of the Talmud. Eight days later, after that Fabrengen, at a second Fabrengen, the Rebbe continued where he left off and explained even more details of this talk. So you'll see as we go through it, and this was published a year later in 1977. The theme, the theme of this subject is whether the concept of reward for doing a mitzvah is something that could be expected during your lifetime in this world or whether the reward for a mitzvah is in the world to come, meaning in the days of Mashiach. So let's analyze and go through this so we could appreciate the discussion and we could have the full picture of this. In the end of this tractate of the Talmud called Chulin, Chulin is one of the tractates in the section of the Talmud has six sections. In each section of the six, it has a number of volumes of the Talmud. And in the section called Kadshim, Kadashim, Kadshim, which means holiness, it speaks about all the sanctified, holy gifts, animals, donations that were given to the temple, of any kinds of gifts that become holy just by the sanctity of the ownership of the temple, whether through verbal commitment or mental commitment, something became holy to the temple. And in that particular whole section of volumes, there's one volume called Chulin, and that's the section we're going to talk. Now, Chulin means uh, mundane. So it deals with the laws of things that you transfer from a mundane ownership to become donated to the temple. So now it becomes a holy object. So it's fascinating that at the end of this tractate, and it's always a special excitement to analyze something at the end of the book, because the end of the book, if that's the way you conclude a book, it tells you volumes of depth. So here is what it says there. It says that we learned in a brysa that in the yeshiva of Rabbi Akiva, they said, there is no mitzvah in the Torah that you could perform, you could practice a mitzvah in the Torah, that the reward is not needed, it's not going to happen until the days of the resurrection. In other words, until Mashiach comes. So he's starting off the statement saying that all reward for all mitzvahs, basically when will you see the reward for doing a mitzvah? Only in the days of the resurrection, of the, when the dead will be resurrected, meaning in the days of the messianic era. When it says in the Torah that if you honor your father and your mother 
it says in Parsha Vaschanon, a couple of weeks ago we read this, it says over there that you should honor your father and your mother in order, here pay attention to the words, in order that you should have lengthy days, you should live long, and it will be good for you. That's quite clear of a commitment of the Torah. That if you honor your father and your mother, you're gonna, it's gonna be in order, you're gonna have this outcome. It's gonna, the order is gonna be is that what's gonna happen is you'll have lengthy days and it will be good ones for you. Then there's another mitzvah in today's parsha, known as Shiluach Hakan. Shiluach Hakan is the well-known mitzvah that if for whatever reason you want a bird and you look up to a nest, where there's a bird in this nest and you want to take this bird home with you, for whatever reason, we're soon going to learn some reasons why you would may want to have a bird. Let may even be just for a donation to the temple, but we'll soon see some reasons. So there's a special commandment in today's Pasha that before you take the bird, if there's a mother bird that's either sitting on the eggs or sitting on the bird, whatever it is, if there's a mother bird there, you have to send away the mother bird, send it away, called shiluach, you message, you, you, you send it away, hakan from the nest. So you have to send away the mother bird. And it says in today's parsha clearly these words, leman yitavlach, by doing this, it will bring good for you, v'ha'arachta yamim, and your days will be lengthened. You will have long life if you do this mitzvah. So that means there are two mitzvahs that we have in the Torah, black and white, that if you honor your father and your mother, you will have long life and good one, and it will be good for you, and by sending away a mother bird, you will have the blessing of good for you and long life. Now, it happened once that there was a father that told his son, he said, son, up there, there's a nest and I want the eggs, the chickens that are there. So please go up there and send away the mother bird and bring me the children. Now pay attention to the story. So the child that's going to go and send away the mother bird and take the babies, number one, he's already doing right there a mitzvah for a blessing for long life. Number two, he's listening to his father. His father asked him to do him this favor. So he's honoring his father. So he's doing both mitzvahs at the same time for a blessing for long life. And guess what happened? On his way back down, this child fell and died. What a, what, what a terrible thing. Terrible thing that happened. So they asked in this yeshiva, Rabbi Yaakov Yeshiva, where do you see the promise, the, the, the reward of long love, long days? We just mentioned that both of them, you're going to have long days. And you see this person did both and he died. So where's the long life and where's the good life, the good days? So they answer, we must deduce from this story. The fact that he did not have long life or a good, we must say that when it says long, you're going to have, your days will be lengthened. What it means is 
Not that your days will be lengthened now in this world that you live in now. It must mean something else because otherwise this kid would have lived long. So what does it refer to? It refers to the time when the world is going to be living in a time when everything will be lengthened and long and everything is going to be forever. When is that? When Mashiach comes. You ha- In other words, we're deducing from this story that we must say, we must interpret the actual verse that says long days. It must mean to the time when there's going to be long days. Then you will also have long days. If you're going to say, concludes this tractate of the Talmud, if you're going to say that it's not so, well, Rabbi Yaakov is the one who himself saw the story happened. It's not just a, a fairy tale story. It's a real story that Rabbi Yaakov saw. He saw it happen that a father called his child, asked him to take down the bird. The kid did both mitzvahs where the Torah says you'll have Lenten days. And he saw this happen. And therefore, Rabbi Yaakov concludes, Schar mitzvah, the reward for a mitzvah, Baha'i Alma in this world, Leka, doesn't exist. You have to say that, because otherwise, how do you interpret such a kind of story? So it must mean that there's no reward. Yeah, let's wait a drop on the questions till we learn a little more, because I think they'll, all the questions, the Rebbe also has a lot of questions, so I think they will be inc- include our questions too. Now, simply learned, if you take on face value straight out what Rabbi Yaakov just taught us, that reward for all mitzvahs is not talking about any reward for any mitzvah is not referring to this world. It's referring to a later time. That means clearly that this Rabbi Yaakov argues with the regular, ordinary Mishnahs, right? The the Mishnah is the source of the Talmud because there are statements that the regular Mishnah says. Regular Mishnah, what we mean is a Mishnah that doesn't have any opinion that argues on it. So some Mishnahs, not every time do we have arguments, even though it feels like that. But not every Mishnah has an argument. So there is a Mishnah that has, that's a straight up Mishnah with no argument. Over there it says like this. Regarding this mitzvah of sending away the mother bird, so it says like this in the Mishnah. Just like this mitzvah, which is such a simple, easy mitzvah. As a matter of fact, sending away a mother bird cost you money-wise out of your pocket almost nothing because you would think that the value of the mother bird is a lot of value so wow that's a huge thing i'm sending away this mother bird no a mother bird in total only adds up to the value of an isser isser was a very small coin it's a value of about eight prutas a pruta today is about somewhere between five and ten cents okay so we're talking about eight Less than maybe 60 to 80 cents total, let's call it like that, is the Isser. So the Mishnah says, if a mitzvah, that's such an easy mitzvah to perform, it doesn't cost much money at all. It's almost insignificant to the av- most, almost everybody. The value of that mitzvah to send away a bird. And the Torah says you're going to have good days and long and long days. How much more so? The Torah wants to teach you that if you do a mitzvah that's a very difficult mitzvah, a very hard mitzvah, like honoring your parents, which is considered to be one of the hardest mitzvahs to do at times, so how much more so you will have long days and good days. That means, from that Mishnah, 
clearly it's understood that just like it makes this called a kalvachomer, it makes a way of thinking that if on an easy mitzvah that costs you almost nothing, you get a blessing for long life, how much more so for a hard mitzvah you'll get a blessing for long life? And nobody argues. And clearly, what is that Mishnah talking about? A blessing in this world. So that means that Rabbi Yaakov, who says that there's no reward in this world, and he is clearly arguing with the regular Mishnah that seems clearly to indicate that reward does exist in this world. Now, we also have another Mishnah in another tractate of the Talmud called Peah. Peah actually doesn't have Talmud, a Mishnah. But over there in the first section of Peah, it says the following. It says, and we say, by the way, most Jews recite every morning after your morning list of blessings, we say this Mishnah and Peah. And we say there, these are the following things that a person could eat its fruit, in other words, the fruit of its labor in this world. And the principal reward will come in the next world to come. But the basic fruit of your labor, of these following mitzvahs, you will have in this world. We say this every morning. What are those mitzvahs that you get reward, the fruit of your labor is rewarded right now in this world? Number one, honoring your father and your mother. Number two, doing kindness to another person, giving a loan to somebody, doing a kind gesture for somebody else, bringing peace amongst people that have quarrels between each other, etc. There are more things, but this is already a few things where clearly that Mishnah says that the fruits of your labor, you're going to get the reward in this world. The principle of the mitzvah reward you'll have in the world to come, but the fruit of the labor you're going to get in this world. That means again, we have a second source now that says if you do a mitzvah, you're going to have some kind of reward in this world. But Rabbi Yaakov says, Schar mitzvah b'hai alma leka. There will be no reward in this world. So clearly Rabbi Yaakov argues with those two other sources. Now, on the other hand, he's going to bring down now a Rambam. Maimonides always is the codifier of Jewish law. And the Rambam in his section called the Laws of Teshuva, over there in chapter 8, he says the following, and let me read to you. Rambam says like this, The goodness that is hidden for righteous people is going to be in the world to come. That the world to come means the world where it's going to be a life without death. There will be good without any evil next to it. And that's what it means in the verse, says the Rambam. When it says, it will be good for you and long life, that's what it means. It means that Hashem is holding it for you, for the righteous people, for when the world will be perfect. There won't be death and there won't be any bad mixed in the world. Says the Rambam more, that we, have, we, we notice from tradition that when it says that in order to have good days and long days, good days means in the time when the world will be only good. And when it says long days, it means the time when there will be only long days in the world, meaning when Mashiach comes. So those two promises, good and long, means in the time when there's going to be pure good and pure longness, when everything will be long. So the Rambam is clearly saying, clearly, that real reward is going to come when Mashiach comes. 
Then he says in the following chapter, in chapter 9, says the Rambam, that rewards for doing a mitzvah and the goodness that you will merit from this if you guard the words of God, the words that are written in the Torah, that will be reward in the world to come. As it says, you're going to have good and you're going to have long. So clearly, this is the opinion of Rabbi Yaakov because from the whole story of he saw the father, told the kid, and the kid did two mitzvahs, and they did, the kid died. So he says it must mean the days of Mashiach. So the Rambam was holding like Mashiach. So the question is, why did the Rambam side with Rabbi Yaakov that reward is not something that's going to happen nowadays? And he didn't side with a Mishnah, two Mishnahs, a Mishnah in Chulin and also in Peah, which say clearly that the rewards also happen in this world now. So we see two different opinions, whether reward happens now or only in the world to come. Rabbi Yaakov and the Rambam say reward is in the world to come, and the Mishnah and Cholin and the Peah, as I said, say that reward will be even now. Now, let it continue. The Rambam continues there of another fascinating statement. And the Rambam concludes like this. After we know the fact that reward for doing a mitzvah is going to be in the world to come, what does the Torah mean when it says, the Torah says, if you will listen to my commandments, you're going to get such and such reward. If you don't listen, you're going to get such and such bad things. For example, hunger or or, or, or satiating. Will you be blessed to be satiated Will you, or are you going to be cursed with hunger? Or are you going to have war or peace? You're going to have sovereignty in your, in your living time or not? Will we be exiled? Will we have success? Will we have poverty? And all other kinds of connections with Hashem. All this says the Ram. Ram himself asks the question. If I'm saying that the reward's only going to be when Mashiach comes, what does it mean when the Torah says, if you obey my mitzvahs, you get this. You don't obey my mitzvahs, you're going to get this negative thing. Says the Ram, all those promises are true. And they are going to happen at the time when you do the mitzvah. All these good things are going to happen to you in this world. And if you don't do them, all the bad things will happen to you now at this time too. Nevertheless, says the Rambam, when, you're gonna, when you get a reward for doing a mitzvah now, you should know that that's not your ultimate reward. That's a, it's a piece of the reward. And when you get punished, you think that's all the punishment that's, that's around? The end will be a lot worse for a person who desecrates and sins. And that's how he reconciles these two points. He says, you're going to get reward, but that's only a little bit of what's coming. Hashem gave us the living Torah and everything that's written in it. We have to learn it and know it well. And we're going to merit to the full appreciation of it only when Mashiach comes. According to the greatness of your actions and the wisdom that you put into it, according to that, you will, you will see your merits. And the Torah promises us, if you do things, besimcha, with joy, and with gladness of the heart, with happy, goodness in the, of, of the soul, 
and you'll toil in the wisdom of the Torah, that all things that disturb you from doing the, the mitzvahs, for example, what could disturb a person from doing a mitzvah if a person is sick? If a person breaks a leg, they can't go to shul or they can't do other mitzvahs. They're very limited to do things. So sickness, war, hunger are terrible things that will disturb a person in their performance of their relationship with God. So if you merit and you work hard and the wisdom, you could get this, says the Rambam. And all the good things that are promised to you, says the Torah, like to be satiated, peace, lots of silver and gold in order that I shouldn't have to worry for my body every day to get its necessary necessities. And I should be able to sit and toil in Torah with peace of mind. And all this is to merit to the world to come. So what do we see from this, whole, this lengthy expressions of the Rambam? That to a certain degree, you could get it all now. You can get a lot of it now. That's his point. A lot of the reward could help you now to be able to be a good practicing, st- studying Torah and doing mitzvahs. But the main reward is still going to be when Mashiach comes in the world to come. Now, so the Rebbe has a simple question. If... Ne- Whichever way you look at it, the Rambam points out that all promises that we're talking about, that we have now, is rewards to also get in now in the world to come. Then why does he not also learn that the promise that it will be good and lengthy days also means now also? Why does he say in general to practice and do Torah mitzvahs, you're going to be blessed if you earn it, to have food and peace and, and all that now. Why doesn't he say also about lengthy days that you'll have long life also in the literal sense that it should be now too? So he wants to understand, one hand, Rabbi Yaakov, the Rambam sides with Rabbi Yaakov, even the, which reward is not going to be now, only when Mashiach comes. Then he says it's going to be in some way now also to be able to focus when you learn and do mitzvahs. But why doesn't he say that it also means long life now also literally? So when you honor your parents or you send away a mother bird, why doesn't he say that that also means reward now? There is a commentary on the Talmud called the Maharsha. One of the most well-learned commentaries in all yeshivas around the world, even till today. And the Marsha says that we can't ask these questions about the promises, what the Torah is telling us. Because you can't explain it for this world that we're in now. Then if you listen to it, you're going to get all the blessings and the goodness and you're going to be comfortable on the land in Israel and so on. And the opposite will happen. The opposite. He says it's possible that what does it mean? That when Rabbi Yaakov says that there's no world, no reward nowadays, he admits that when it's a, when the public, when lots of people, when there's a body of a, of a majority of people, a lot of people, that do only good, then all the blessings will happen exactly the way it says it in the Torah, even now. But an individual, if you are one person in your city or you're an individual person, the whole society around you is bad, but you're a great person. The Torah is not promising you all the reward. All all the war should stop. All the hunger should stop in your country because of you. 
things are moving along. You will get your reward in Mashiach comes. So that's the way the Masha basically puts it. That it depends if we're talking about the Rabbim, meaning lots of people, or an individual, of whether you should say if the reward happens now or not. The problem is, with this Marsha's interpretation, to divide it, whether it's a lot of people or an individual person or not, because the problem is, because the Rambam doesn't mention any difference of a lot of people or an individual. The Rambam just says, the main rewards will happen when Mashiach comes, and not now. Through learning hard, you'll get a, some kind of reward now, but the main reward is going to happen when Mashiach comes. The Rambam doesn't mention a word about an individual versus a many. So the Marsha may have a nice idea to say, but the Rambam doesn't mention that. Another thing we have to understand, why does the Rambam being the verse that it will be good, it will be good for you, and you'll have long life. Now, let's just pay attention to the two verses. By the two places where you have a blessing. Sending away the mother bird, the verse says, first the words, it will be good, it will be good, and then it says, you'll have long days. By honoring your parents, it says it the opposite order. You will have long days and it will be good for you. So now, the Rambam, when he mentions this verse about that you will have long, good, good days, goodness, and long days, which is the verse by the, that's used by sending away the mother bird. So why does the Rambam bring only that verse regarding the mother bird to bring his proofs? and his opinion that it's going to happen when Mashiach comes, and he does not bring a proof from the verse of honoring your parents, where over there it says first, long days, and then it says, it will be good. And what's, what, the reason why we have to try to understand this, of why did the Rambam bring only the verse of, that said, that the promise that says, by the, regarding sending away the mother bird, because which one is in the Torah, First, first, we already had it a couple parshas ago regarding honoring your parents. Only in today's parsha it speaks about the promise for the mother bird. So the Rambam, by bringing the verse of the second time the Torah talks about long life, there must be a reason for that. You don't just jump to the second proof before the first proof for no reason. There must be a reason why the Rambam brings a proof and brings the verse regarding good days Good, good for you and long life, which is by the mother bird. And he doesn't bring down the verse regarding honoring the parents. So we're going to see a major insight that the Rebbe is going to point out to us, showing us a major difference between these two categories of mitzvahs. There's going to be a specific category in, that we're going to learn about the sending away a mother bird and a whole other category of a mitzvah regarding a honoring your parents. But before that, he says, in order to appreciate that, we have to understand another question. The Rabbi Yaakov brought a proof. What was Rabbi Yaakov's proof? That there's no reward in this world? He brought his proof from a story. That there's no reward in this world. By the mitzvah of honoring your parents, because the father told the kid to go get, to send away the motherboard, and he brings the proof also from the mitzvah of the sending away the motherboard. What's going on? Why did Rabbi Yaakov have to bring a proof from two mitzvahs? He could have brought me the same proof from one mitzvah. He could have just used any one of those examples. A person went to do that mitzvah and he died. So I see from here that you, 
It can't be literally in this world that you're going to have long life. Why did Rabbi Yaakov bring me a story that had both mitzvahs in there? What is there to gain by knowing that the story happened with two mitzvahs and the person died? Now, it's true, you could argue and say, it's very simple. Why do we have to make such a kind of question? Rabbi Yaakov saw the story. He's telling you the, the way it happened. It happened with both mitzvahs involved. The father told the kid to get to send away the mother bird and automatically it was a commandment of the father. The reason why you can't say that it's only because Rabbi Yaakov saw this because you could ask another question. You could say, why do you have to emphasize this whole thing that it happened in a story that it happened with both mitzvahs? Maybe I could say... That if only the, only the mitzvah of sending away the mother bird was involved, that's already a proof that there's no reward in this world. On the other hand, you could say, even after the proof that Rabbi Yaakov saw this story happen with his own eyes, he saw it happen with both mitzvahs, you could ask, what's the proof that the reward of a mitzvah, you don't get it in this world? It could be that it's talking about a son, that the father asked him to go do this, but guess what? The kid that went, maybe he didn't have intention to do what his father asked him to do. He didn't care what his father had to say. Maybe he was a kid that was a mischievous kid. He loved to hatch, not to hatch, but to, to get birds, to catch birds. So yeah, that's why he did it. Who says he did it? Because his father told him to do it. Maybe the kid did it because... Rabbi, Rabbi I have a question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what was the motive of the father to ask the boy to um, to send away the mother bird? Or get the eight? It doesn't say, it does not say the reason of why the father asked him. He just said, I want you to go do this for me. Right. Don't you think that is the most important, uh, I don't know most, don't you think that is a key component of this whole mitzvah? In fact, what is the position of Chabad? Let's suppose the father had no motive, other than he understands it's a mitzvah for his son to shoo away the mother, but the eggs, he's, he, he couldn't care less about more to, you know. What's Chabad's position on that one? Well, this is what we're going to analyze. We're continuing to analyze this. Let's join together. We're going to learn what the position is. So before this is over, you'll tell me, that Chabad has a position or no position. In other words, the action of just shooing away the mother, that's the mitzvah, and it's completely irrelevant what the purpose is of the father asking the boy. Because maybe if the father asked the boy to do it, and the only reason was it was his interpretation that just the simple act of shooing away the mother is the mitzvah, then the fault is with the father. Okay, and so uh, all right. Like, so Barry, let's let's continue. So this is exactly what this is what the Rebbe is asking now. Does the intention matter or not? If the kid did it because his father told him to do it, or what the intention of the father was involved, the bottom line is we would think that the father asked the kid to do to do something which the Torah says has long life, and the kid went to do it, and then he died. But we could maybe say that the kid didn't wasn't interested in doing it because his father said. So then it's not a proof 
that there's no reward. Maybe he, he didn't even do it to honor his parents. So maybe it's not going to be a good enough position to prove that there's no reward. Now there are opinions in halacha that say that in general when you do a mitzvah, you don't have to have intention. In other words, let's use an example. There's a mitzvah to eat matzah on Passover. Why do we eat matzah on Passover? So in, in order to remember that we rushed out from, uh, we, we, right, we ran out, there was no time for the matzah to rise. But if you ate matzah, one year Pesach, you were tired, you were sick, you were nauseous, whatever the thing is, and you stuffed the matzah down your throat and you didn't think nothing about all these ideas of why we eat the matzah, you still did the mitzvah. You did the mitzvah. So we learn, and many mitzvahs are like, you put on tefillin without having any intention what you were doing. You, weren't th- you were thinking about something else that was on your mind. You still got the mitzvah of doing it. So even according to the opinions that say that mitzvahs ultimately is a mitzvah and you don't, it's not dependent if you had intention on it, that obviously means it's talking about those category of mitzvahs that don't must have an intention for the sake of that mitzvah. But if, okay, so but, but, but uh, Barry, Barry, just, Barry. Why not, use this, why not use this example? Why use another example? Why not take this example as the example that what you're telling me is the father did not have to have the intention of doing anything with the eggs. It's according to Chabad, according to, to Chabad, that just doing the mitzvah is a mitzvah. Is that what you're telling us? Okay, so, Barry, let's do like this. Now specifically uh, well, well, about the bird situation. That's the, that's the basis of your whole discussion today. Okay, so, uh, Barry, let's concentrate on this. I'm, we're, gonna, we're recording the because class. I've done some research on it, and I don't, I don't... No, so what I want to do is, is from now on, hold your, hold your question till the end. If the question will still be there, we're going to go through it and explain the questions. But you have to wait until the end of this. We can't, we can't interrupt like that because you won't be able to grasp the questions. What he's asking you here is if there's a rule by many, uh, by many halachic authorities that mitzvahs don't have to, don't must have a kavana, an intention there. Obviously, it doesn't mean that you had an opposite kavana. If you if you purposely said I am not doing this because of such and such, then you didn't fulfill your obligation. If you say I, I purposely not doing this because of my father said this, I hate him. I don't want to listen to him. It happens to me. I'm doing something that he asked me, but I'm not doing it at all for him. Then for sure, then you don't get that reward for it. So if you say this, you maybe we could say that the son, maybe we're asking a, theory, a, a, a hypothetical question. If the child did it and had an opposite intention, not to do it because his father said to do it. And he didn't take send away the mother bird to that. Maybe for whatever reason it was, he loved to see the mother bird fly or he loved to chase it away. He didn't do it because any reason he was trying to do it for a sacred reason. Then, of course, the whole proof is nullified because this means we can't use that story as a proof that we don't have reward in this world because he died if he purposely didn't do it for that reason of doing it of doing the mitzvah of honoring it for doing it for his parents if he purposely didn't have that intention so what we're trying to get to is why did Rabbi Yaakov feel the need to bring a proof a proof from both stories next point in the last Mishnah of Chulin 
there's another point that's mentioned there. There's another law. Interesting. So let me just bring you to date on how the Talmud is structured. Obviously, we all know here that the Talmud is the explanation and the, and the discussions of the meanings of the Tom, of the Torah and the nuances and so on. So first, there was the Mishnah written. The Mishnah is a bunch of small paragraphs written in shorthand, written and recorded by Rabbi Yehuda. Now, or known as Rebbe or Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, he wrote the Mishnah. Then came a few hundred years of analyzing and learning the Mishnah, that's what comes the Talmud. So we quoted this whole story of Rabbi Yaakov was the end of the Talmud tractate. But there's, a, there's, there's also a last Mishnah. The last Mishnah reads like this. Regarding the mitzvah of today's parsha of sending away the mother bird, it says like this. If a person is a mitzorah, a mitzorah means a person who has leprosy. Now, if you have leprosy, the Torah tells us in the Parsha where it deals with leprosy condition, that if you have this condition, in order to become spiritually pure, one of the things you need to have is two birds. You have to have two birds. One gets shechted, you take the blood you put on the person, the other one you send it away. It's a process with two birds. Now, that means that this person, this le- the person with the leprosy, he needs birds. So you would think, that if he sees a nest with a couple of birds, let him run there, grab the birds, and resolve his issue of being a person with leprosy. Says the Mishnah, you're not allowed to take the baby birds without sending away the mother bird first, even if the reason why you need these birds is in order to purify a person who's a mitzvah. That means what we're saying is, now let's understand this a drop. Mitzvah is a biblical commandment that you have a person on a human that you have this condition. The bird story is an issue with creatures that Hashem made outside of the human species. We're talking about birds. That means we're saying that you cannot deal with the birds any different than we have laws about birds just because you're the human and we have an issue with you that you're impure. So therefore, let me rush before I figure out how to send away the mother bird and, and get rid of this issue of the leprosy. Even though the human is considered to be a higher level than animals, as we're going to see soon. We're going to bring the proofs about that soon. Now, so from this, the Mishnah concludes that if a easy mitzvah, which is only a very cheap mitzvah, cost you almost nothing. Like we said before, the Isser coin, it cost you, what we said, 50, 70 cents, something like that. It costs you almost nothing to send away a mother bird. And the Torah says, you're gonna, it's going to be good for you. And you're going to have long life, long days. How much more so if you do any harsh mitzvah? Any harder mitzvah that's difficult to do. That's what we learn. We deduce it. If, it's like, if this is the reward for an easy mitzvah, how much more so you'll get this big reward for a harder mitzvah that's more difficult to do. So we're asking now, let's ask a simple question. What's the connection of these two points in the Mishnah? Point one is, you have to send away a mother bird before you're going to take the birds to help out this person who has this leprosy condition. And the same Mishnah concludes with this 
Kal v'chomer learning, if it's the reward like this for the light mitzvah, how much more so it's going to be the reward like this for the long mitzvah. What's the connection of these two? If you put them both in one paragraph, meaning in one Mishnah, there must be a connection between the two. Otherwise, why would the Mishnah bring them together? Now, so you may want to say that a Mishnah wants to finish with something positive on a high note. You just mentioned the law about the guy with the leprosy. You don't want to finish the whole Mishnah with a sad story about a guy with leprosy. So you want to finish off with a positive note. If you get long life for an easy mitzvah, you're going to get long life for short for a harder mitzvah. Well, he says for that, it's a very nice explanation, but you could have broken it up into two separate Mishnahs. As a matter of fact, it's a very fascinating thing that Rebbe brings down in a footnote here, that the breakup of the Mishnahs actually are very relevant to other laws. For example, if a person tells his future wife, we are going to get married together in one condition, that I'm going to be a very big Torah scholar. Well, how do you define that you're a Torah scholar? Right? How do you define that? The conclusion is, of all the halachic that deals with this, that if you know three Mishnahs, you're considered to be a scholar, a Torah scholar. If not, then your marriage is null and void. You never got married. <laughs> it means you won't need to have a get, and who knows other kind of complications, right? So that means that the breakup of the Mishnahs are very relevant to certain cases of law. So why would the Mishnah put two points as seemingly not connected to each other in the same Mishnah? Another question is, according to this Mishnah that we learned that if you're going to have long life by sending away a bird, which is such an easy mitzvah to do, you'll for sure get long life from any other mitzvah. Why does it not, why does it say clearly that you'll have long days by honoring your parents which seems like the obvious one that's the most difficult of mitzvahs. As a matter of fact, in the Jerusalem Talmud and the Yerushalmi, over there it calls the mitzvah of honoring your parents the most difficult of mitzvahs. Chamures Sheba Chamures. And if anybody here in our class today will tell you that honoring your parents is easy, just say to yourself, Baruch Hashem. Because it's not always easy to be able to say that, that for, that for everybody across the board. For across the board, generally speaking, it's a difficult. So why do we have to have, if you're telling me it's an easy learn, that you get long life for doing an easy mitzvah, automatically you get longer for doing any other hard mitzvah, why by the hardest mitzvah do you have to specify it clearly that you're going to have long life? I already know it because you told me if by an easy one you get long life, then you get it for sure for the hardest one. So why do you have to specify again long life there? Now, so this is basically the, the sum of all the questions that we have. And to summarize it in very brief, we had Rabbi Yaakov, his opinion, and the Rambam, that rewards don't exist in this world pretty much. The Rambam says a little bit, but bulk of it is later. The Mishnah and Chulin and the, and the Mishnah and Peah say that there is reward in this world now. Second question, so why do they disagree? Second opinion is, second question really, the bulk of the, the, the key of the second question is, why did Rabbi Yaakov have to bring a proof of both instances that happened to tell us that there's no world in this world? If any one of those two stories happened, whether you didn't listen to your father and you died, or you listened to your father and you died, or you sent away the motherboard and you died, that alone would be enough proof that it can't mean the literal promise of long life. So why do you have to tell me both stories? So to explain this, he says, let's explain first the mitzvah that we said that 
you cannot take baby birds, the children birds, even if it's in order to purify and make a mitzorah to come back into the Jewish community. Remember, a person that has leprosy, they have to quarantine for a, for a while. Now, another very interesting thing is that a mitzorah, the person who has leprosy, he's not allowed to come home to his wife because he's an impure person now. He has leprosy condition. That means he's not allowed to be intimate with his wife. Now, we all understand that the Torah cares about Shalom bias as a major, major high priority. So, what you're telling me is that the priority of Shalom bias to get this Mitzorah to be pure again, to be able to go home and be with his wife, you're telling me that that's less important than being able to just grab those birds and do what you have to do to make him pure and I have to wait until you send away the mother bird? That's a pretty heavy statement. That's very heavy. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that to understand the importance of Shalom bias, you want to see what God is willing to do to have Shalom bias. Very interesting law. In the laws regarding the Sota, the woman who's suspected of committing adultery, adulterous behavior, this woman would be taken to the temple. And if we suspect that she's guilty, we take a piece of parchment, we write God's name on it, you put it into a cup of water, the name of God dissolves into the cup of water. And Hashem says, for this purpose, the following purpose, I'm willing to have my name erased. Hashem's name is never allowed to be erased, except for this story. You're allowed to take God's name, let it dissolve in the cup of water, hence the name holy water. That's where it comes from, because the water became holy. It's got God's name dissolved in it. The woman drinks the water. If she's guilty, the water will eat her up inside her stomach and she'll die. It's like the magical water, if you want to call it like that. If she's innocent, the water will turn into the biggest blessing for her. And there's a whole list of blessings that she'll get by drinking this water. That means that Shalom Bias is so high up that Hashem is ready to even have his name erased for the sake of Shalom Bias. And you're telling me now here that you cannot go and grab the birds? I mean, come on, it's a bird. It's just a bird. Come on, for the sake of Shalom Bias, why do I have to wait and send away a mother bird? Is it, what's, the, what's the big deal? Is it so bad to send to grab the babies before you send away the mother bird? Shalom Bias is much more important. So here, the revolutionary idea, which is so beautiful, that the Rebbe brings from another place in the Talmud. It says like this, a person that says to God, I'm going to pray to you, Hashem, and please have mercy on me the same way you have Rahmanis on a bird that you send away. You tell us that we should send away the mother bird. Look how beautiful you ask us to behave, to have mercy on a mother bird in order to take, before I take the baby bird, Hashem, please, come on, have Rahmanis on me too. If you ever are in synagogue and you hear somebody talk like that, says the Talmud, Meshatkin Osa. Meshatkin is, means shtika, means shh, quiet. 
You're supposed to tell the person, quiet, you're talking nonsense. How do you explain that? What's wrong to say that to God? Just like you asked us to have mercy on the birds, you, I want you to have mercy on me. What's, what's the problem to say that? As a matter of fact, there are a lot of commentaries that bring that have that talk and elaborate and explain the mitzvah of the mother bird, and it says over there it brings the ideas of mercy. Have Rachmanis on the mother. She shouldn't have to see you take away her babies. So send away the mother bird. That's the simple way of always understanding this mitzvah. But the fact that we're saying over here that in order to purify Mitzora, it's connected with, it's also connected with Rachmanis. Also, you have to have pity on the poor husband and wife. They can't be together. Now I have two issues. On one hand, I want to have pity on the mother bird. The other hand, I want to have pity on the human being. Well, you know what? There is a rule actually that who's suffering has bigger priority. If you're in a situation that I could save a human being from suffering pain or I could save an animal of suffering pain or creature, the law is you're expected to help the human being first from his suffering pain. It, you, it, make sure no animal has suffered. That's a very huge mitzvah to do. But if you're in a situation that it's one or the other, the, the law is you're supposed to take care of the human goes first. So what's going on over here? Why is this the mitzvah? Both mitzv- if both mitzvahs are all about respect, and pity, why are we saying, no, you, Mitsora, you have leprosy, no, stay isolated, you can't go home to your wife, you gotta, sorry to you, but I gotta take care first to make sure I have pity on the bird. Why is that coming first? What's happening here? Why do I have to do, deal with the respect for the bird first? So here is the key that we're gonna see here. Sending away a mother bird is like the category of another fascinating mitzvah. I know it's a lot of mitzvahs together being piled on the table, but each one of these laws are more fascinating than the other. There is a law that if you're walking on a street and you have your wallet or a bundle of cash in your pocket and it fell out of your pocket, you lost it. Now, what happens if a poor man comes across this pile of cash and his eyes open up Never saw so much money in my life. He says, I'm starving. I'm about to die. But that this money, I could save my life. He runs into the store. He buys himself food. And he revives himself. And now he doesn't die. Guess what? What's the, what's the, what's the rule? The guy that lost the money, who's in pain that he lost the money. <laughs> Even though he's in pain that he lost his money. If a poor person found it and benefited from it, you get a mitzvah. So if it ever happens to you, you lost some money, say to yourself, pray to Hashem that at least, I hope a poor person finds us, at least I get a mitzvah out of it. Even though you didn't give up on it. You would love to still find your cash. But if you, even and even if you're in pain, why is that? Why is that? So here you have to appreciate another mitzvah. <laughs> the another mitzvah. The mitzvah is like this. 
It says in today's Parsha that if you see a person having a load of, uh, 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 of you know, a, bund- a, load, a load on top of his donkey, and you see this person walking, and his donkey is falling under. It can't handle the load. The mitzvah is that you must not ignore, don't make believe you don't see it, and run ahead and help this person to unload the donkey so that the donkey shouldn't collapse under the heavy load. Now, here comes a scenario. Remember, the Talmud always has ways of getting us to think a little bit. Here's a scenario. What happens if there's two donkeys? One is loaded up to the top and it's your best friend. You love him. It's your best friend. He needs help to unload the, bun- the, the packages from the donkey. Now, the other guy is my enemy. I don't like this guy. He's a troublemaker. I, for whatever reason, you're, you're, you're in a beef with him. You don't like him. And he needs help to load his donkey. His packages are on the floor. He needs help. Who can help me to load packages on my donkey? Now, what would you think? Which is the priority here? To help unload the donkey that's collapsing of my friend or to load up the donkey from my enemy and help him load up his donkey. You would think the, the first donkey is going to collapse. I better go help him to, to take it down. It says the halacha like this. Actually, the mitzvah is you should go help your enemy to load up his donkey. Why? Why would we say such a strange law? This guy's donkey, my friend, is going to collapse soon. The other guy just wants to load it up. The answer is because we want to train the human being to win over your evil inclination. Your evil inclination tells you all the time, don't help your enemy. Help only the guy who you like. So here's an opportunity. I could help the guy who I like who really needs my help badly. But the other guy also needs my help. But because he's my enemy, we want to break ourselves. To What do you mean break yourself? To break your Yetzirah. Don't let your Yetzirah dominate you. That means compassion is a major thing. Here I could have compassion for my enemy, which is a much bigger extreme step. So what do I see from here? That sending away the mother bird is a mitzvah that actually makes sense intellectually. It's having mercy. And now I could also use the same logic that if you get the reward for long life for an easy mitzvah, cheap mitzvah, to send them away, I'll also get or almost no cost for you. How much more I'll get get reward for later for doing a bigger mitzvah. And the Torah says you're going to have good days and long life. How much more so is for stricter mitzvahs, right? That means... Even in a case where there's no intellectual benefit here. If it's a case that I'm doing the mitzvah, that's the key as long as I'm doing the mitzvah. For sure, I'm going to have long life. But now, we, we, we have to try to make it a little bit clearer in our minds. When it says, don't take a bird before sending away the mother bird in order to help this mitzvah that he can come home to his wife, it's understood that the mitzvah of sending away the mother bird is not like any mitzvah of helping one human and another human. It's not a mitzvah between humans. Between, in halachic terminology, it's called bein adam 
lachavero. It's not about a mitzvah between one person and another person. Instead of helping my friend, I'm doing a help for the bird. Because a mitzvah between friends, it doesn't matter what your intention is. The, when it's about helping your friend, it's about doing the deed. It's about getting it done. You know the story with the Alter Rebbe once? A guy came to the Alter Rebbe and said, You know, Rebbe, he says, I prepare sandwiches, I give food to the poor people, but I feel so good about it. I'm getting arrogance. I'm, so, I'm a huge donor. I feel so good with myself. Maybe I should stop giving out food to helping the poor because I feel too arrogant about myself. Alter Rebbe said, You know what? The poor person that's getting the sandwich, he doesn't care how arrogant you are, how, how you feel. All he cares about is that sandwich. You see, when it comes between human to human, what's important is getting the job done. That's what's important. Therefore, when you send away a mother bird, even though the mitzvah, what's the mitzvah? It's the benefit for the mother. And, and now, it could be also a benefit now to purify the person who has this leprosy. And which one overrides? Sending away the mother bird first. That means the mother bird story is basically telling you that that's something between you and God. It's a calculation to do what Hashem wants. Because if you made the regular calculation, you would realize that I have to take care of the person first. Let me take care of the person who's a Mitzorah, get the birds. But here you see that sending away the mother bird is something that's really a mitzvah that's between the human and God. Yes, there's a component of having compassion on the bird. But the real thing and the reason why you do that mitzvah before helping another human is because if you have the option of doing a mitzvah between you and Hashem or you and another human, you and Hashem goes first. And that's why you have to send away the mother bird first. Therefore, now we understand why the Rambam, when he wants to bring a proof that there's no reward in this world, he tells you the proof is by the mother bird. And he doesn't bring the proof regarding honoring your parents because he wants to bring the proof regarding you, a mitzvah that's between you and God, like sending away the mother bird. Even when it doesn't make sense to do it in that order, you're doing it like that. Now, here, what you get to see is now also an appreciation that the Gemara finishes with the story, the conclusion of that tractate of the Talmud was the story of Rabbi Yaakov, where he brings a proof that there's no reward in this world from the fact that this kid died while he was going on the mission from his father, which is honoring your parents, and going to take down the mother, but he brings down both stories to teach you, because Rabbi Yaakov is much more strict. He says, from my story you see that not just is there no reward, no reward in this world for a mitzvah between you and God, but there's also no reward in this world for a mitzvah that's between you and another human being. The Rambam holds that a mitzvah between you and another human being behave nice to other people. You will get reward in this world. It will work to your benefit. There won't be hunger. You'll have food. There won't be war. But the Yaakov says, from my story, I see that there's no reward, reward even in the area of not being, uh, even in the area of being nice to another person and you human to human, like honoring your parents. Now, I'm going to skip a small piece over here where the Rebbe goes to analyzes the difference of a mitzvah, of the reward of a mitzvah, and the essence of a mitzvah. 
And let's jump to uh, uh, an idea because it's already nine o'clock. So I want to go to what does Chassidus? Barry asked, what does Chabad have to say? When Barry asks that question, what does he mean when he says, what does Chabad have to say? What he wants to understand is, what does Chassidus, the philosophical approach of what Chabad follows, what is, what, what's, the, what's our take from this? What do we take from this? How do we see this whole concept here in the, in the relationship with the mitzvah of the mother bird sending away and the mitzvah of honoring your parents and so on. So the Rebbe analyzed it like this. He says like this, the tractate that we just learned called Chulin, which is the, conclu- which is the conclusion of this book of Chulin. Chulin means mundane, weekday, weekday kind of substances which is in this, in this section of the Talmud, of the Mishnah, called Kadashim, which means sanctified items. So he says like this, by a Jew, even your mundane things of your life, let's just use an example, your food, even the food of a Jew is considered to be holy in comparison to everything else in the world. Simply understood. Because... The food for a Jew, you're able to make it holy. Not all food is food for a Jew. A non-kosher food, (laughs) you don't even have that in a Jew's house. Because you can't make it holy. You can't do anything with it. You can't make a bracha. You can't make a blessing on food that's not kosher. So now, kosher food, which let's say before you eat it, it's sitting on your table, a piece of bread, right? a fish, meat, fruit, any kind of food, even though it's mundane, it still has a certain element in it in comparison to non-kosher stuff or other kinds of things, it's already holy. Now, how and where do we see it in our tractate of Talmud discussion here of the idea of sanctity in something that's a regular mundane, non-holy item? So he says like this, the first statement of the entire tractate of Chulin, which deals with, again, mundane foods mainly that you sanctify or mundane items. So it says there that everybody is allowed to slaughter animals, meaning not just a Kohen. In the temple, even a simple non-Kohen, a Levite, an Israelite, you're all allowed a Shecht. You're allowed to be a, a, you know, Shecht means the guy that slaughters the animals. Now, what's the whole point of shechting an animal. Why do we slaughter animals? So the Talmud tells us that the word shechita, which means to slaughter, ein v'shachat ela umashach. The word shechita for slaughter only means one theme. It means the theme that I drawed it closer to me. Let's use this horn, which comes from an animal. By shechting the animal, by slaughtering it, I now drew it near me. What does that mean? Well, what does the statement mean? I drew it near me, I brought it closer. What, what, is, what does these words mean? So to understand this, we have first a basic human question we could ask ourselves. Why does, why does Judaism permit slaughtering of animals? Why do we have this concept? That it's permission, it's permissible, it's kosher to slaughter an animal. 
What's this business? We know a rule that's called Tsar Bailechaim. That's forbidden. You're not allowed to cause pain to an animal. And according to many opinions, it's actual it's actually a biblical prohibition that which is that you're not allowed to cause pain to an animal. So why do we have a rule that you're allowed to slaughter an animal? It's the best question you could ask regarding consumption of poultry, of meat. And what's the answer? The answer is that you're right. You are 100% right. You're not allowed to slaughter an animal and cause pain for no reason. The only allowance that the Torah gives us to do this is if I'm going to draw it near. What does it mean, draw it near? Draw it means that it's like drawing some, pulling something in from an outside domain to an inside domain. You, you have something that's outside your house and you want to bring it in. What's the, what does that mean? Outdoors means where there's foreign elements. Indoors means where it's a sacred, secure element. So I take something that's foreign, the animal, and I draw it near. What does that mean? That means I elevate it. I now making it holy. That's the only allowance to do it. If you don't have any intention in doing it just for that, you are not allowed to shecht it. I remember once a sikha the Rebbe spoke against this idea that people go hunting. He was very passionately upset about it. How people could go hunting for a sport, for fun. It's not allowed. Pain for causing pain to animals is not allowed. As a matter of fact, he brings down in the footnotes here about fish, that fish, by gathering it together into a net, it's a form of shechita actually, by gathering it. So that's also gathering, meaning bringing it in to a more holy and sacred place. Like we know, there are four categories that Hashem created in this world. There's the human being, which is the human that could speak intellectually. Then you have under that, the second one from going from top to bottom is the world of the animal life. The third from the top is vegetational life, things that grow from the ground, right? Vegetational stuff. And the lowest is things that are, don't move. Rocks, sand, all these things are created by God. But each one serves the element that's above it. The earth serves to support vegetational things. The vegetation stuff helps to support the world of the animals. The animals now, and all the, those other ones, help to support the human. Now, this is not enough because when, you sh- when the shechita is done, the slaughtering is done by a Jew, it's not enough just that the person should eat the animal, that it will now become elevated because you made a blessing and you celebrated your Shabbos, your Yom Tif or whatever, you know, in a higher way. It has to be done in a spiritual way to the point that you become like an Adam, you become an animal, an, an, a human, Adam, to the point that your Adama which is Hasidic interpreting this idea that Adam, the word Adam also means in comparison. You have to be a comparison compared to the God Almighty himself. Now this is understood from the end of this tractate of the Talmud. Through this, that a Jew fulfills a mitzvah and does it only because Hashem told him to do it. Meaning like we brought the proof already. You have to do a mitzvah in order to break your evil inclination, to help it, to train your evil inclination to start to do good. That's why when you had the option 
of helping unload the, the animal that was collapsing or to help your your enemy to load up his animal we're going to go that far away because we want to train the human how can i take control of my evil inclination then if you do that and you're able to conquer and dominate your animal side of you your evil side of you and now train it to become holier then you could take the animal and you could shecht it and you could take it and elevate your own animal soul that's inside you, as we explained many times when we learned to Tanya about the animal soul that's driven by instinct, by, by, not by intellect. And you could even elevate the things that are very mundane and bring them up to a holy place. Now, through this, you now could elevate all mundane things of the entire world, even the animal world, and elevate it into holiness. And in connection to this, is what the tractate concludes with. That the ultimate, the ultimate elevation of anything is that the days are going to be, that it's going to be good for you in the world where it's going to be completely good. No bad mixed into that. It's going to be long days when in the world that it's going to be everything that's going to be forever. And then it's going to be that a Jew is connected in a revealed way with Hashem to the point that even his body and his animal soul are included with holiness and you're going to get your sustenance from godliness. That's why when Mashiach comes, we're not going to have any need for food because you're going to be satiated with godliness. And since every Jew is a tzaddik, like we say, we are all righteous people and all every single Jew is filled with mitzvahs like the pomegranate as we learned as this year's theme, right? Like the pomegranate is filled with seeds, so too every Jew is filled with mitzvahs. Especially in the month of Elul that we're in now, that every Jew does their service in the month of Elul in all three categories because the Rosh Tevis, the, the, the acronym for the month, the Hebrew month Elul, is alluded to in, th- in many verses, but three to mention here now. One is regarding the person who has to run to a city of refuge because he accidentally killed somebody, dropped a hammer off of, when he was fixing his roof and it fell on a guy and the person died and that guy's family wants to kill him so he has to run to a place of refuge that he shouldn't be killed over there it uses a verse Ina Liyade, come into my hand and I'll place you there I'm going to keep you somewhere safe what's a place that's safe the Torah so this verse tells you if you're in trouble embrace yourself with learning Torah there, so that's one category another category of Elul is the famous acronym Ani I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me this reflects the idea of serving God through prayer prayer I am to my beloved, you go out, your soul goes out, you feel the connection to above, to my beloved, and he feels it back to me. The third acronym here of Elul is, like we say on the story of Purim, that you have to give, a every man has to give his friend a gift and to the poor. The acronym for doing these gifts is Ish. Lira ehu umatanos lavionim. So, gift idea of friendship, of kindness, of chesed, gemilas chasadim is as also in the acronym of El. So now, Hashem fulfills then when we do all three categories: learning Torah, prayer, and being kind to others. Hashem fulfills His promise, and He gives every Jew all the promises that He promised us 
of material promises, which is to be satiated, to be full, to have all your parnasa you need, to have peace, to have lots of silver and gold. In order, why do I need all this stuff? Why do I need peace? Why do I need money? Why do I need food? What do you need all this for? It's all in order that you should be able to have a free mind, a clear mind, to study the wisdom and do, of the Torah and do its mitzvahs. And even the reward from mitzvah, this is the, 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 the reward itself. That's getting the mitzvah itself. When I do this, why does Hashem, that was the piece, the two paragraphs that we jumped over. But the point over there was that when Hashem gives you uh, money, and he gives you food, right? And now I'm able to learn Torah and do a mitzvah. Is that a reward? It's a necessity for to do the mitzvah. If you don't have that, you could be in big trouble. You won't be able to do the mitzvahs. So those are necessities that Hashem gives you. But now he's saying is that even reward for it, you're going to have in the world to come. And besides what you have now, you're going to have it in the world to come. And amongst the mitzvah is also the mitzvah of learning Torah, doing good deeds, and you're going to have that now also in a way of longevity, long days, and year, good years. Literally, you should have it. Hashem is going to bless us all in this world. And every Jew, with all the Jews, should be, should be blessed to be written and sealed for a good Lashana Tova Masuka, for a good a year, a, a sweet year, in a way that it should be good in a revealed way, and it should be so revealed that it should be down here in this world like this. So with this, we conclude this.